Well, welcome to a new edition of the Art Business Podcast. My guest today is Anastasia Pekalova, uh, who is uh, now a graduate of uh, the MA Art Business Programme at Southern Business Institute of Art in London. Um, I'm pro- Programme Director, and Anastasia was my supervisee for her dissertation. Uh, and the reason I, I thought it would be interesting to talk to Anastasia is because of her um, very good knowledge about of the Russian art market, which is a subject not that many people ever talk about. So that is the kind of subject, the main subject of this podcast. But also, Anastasia did her dissertation um, about the Russian art market today. Uh, and, and this links to a, a new um, website that she's developing and is about to launch, uh, which is called Art Barometer. So we'll talk about that later in the, um, in the podcast. Um, Anastasia, what's your favorite city and why? Um, yes, hi David, thank you um, for having me. Um, I Well, of course I like Moscow, but to travel um, I also like going to Antwerp because uh, it's a city that you can't just, um, you can't just grasp uh, the gist of it in one week or even maybe in two weeks. I like going back. It's a great city for everyone who likes old masters and Flemish art and even design. So, yeah, yeah, probably that. Yeah, no, my experience of it was first, um, Axel Beervoort um, was, was one of the first um, commercial galleries, as it were, uh, actually an interior design um, advisor, but dealing with art objects. And I remember seeing his stand, uh, and I'm saying Axel Beervoort because he has a beautiful property um, in, in, in Antwerp. I think it's even connected with somewhere that Rubens used, um, that Van, sorry, Van Dyke used to hang out. Oh, interesting. Uh, I have visited it before. And um, I remember he, his was the first gallery I saw ever in the art world. It was in the early millennium when we visited TFAF with the students, uh, the MA Art Business students. And uh, it, his, he, suddenly we saw this gallery that had mixtures of art objects from different cultures and times contemporary art mixed with um, ancient Egyptian art. And also, not just that, but natural objects. So it was kind of replicating an, an interior room of like a luxury house or schloss or castle or chateau. I guess that was the, the point. And uh, over the fireplace was like a fossil as well. And so it was also mixing nature, natural and cultural objects. And this developed into what has become known as cross-collecting, which is now highly fashionable. So as you know, uh, you know there are a lot of art collectors now and a lot of some of his Christie's auction yes. house sales and dealers that, that combine uh, contemporary with the antique. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And he has his main offices in, 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 Antwerp. in Antwerp. So I kind of think of it as a design and ideas place as well as a place for stunning old master paintings by the lights of Rubens and Van Dyke that you can see in situ. Yeah. And then, then, of course, you've been to the Rubens house. Yes, I have. And then yeah. the um, the Plant and Mortis again museum. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's just a city that, that's perfect for cross-collecting, mixing old, yeah. um, old masters and contemporary and design and everything together. Yeah, and I, I would recommend... I think it's the kind of city that you probably... To start with, just go for a weekend, one of those kind of weekend breakaways. <laughs> it's not <laughs> enough, enough, but you certainly see enough to whet your appetite. And yes. the Planter Moritz Museum that you spoke about is a very unusual museum um, of a printer, a very famous printer in Antwerp. Most people won't have heard of, um, but it's a fantastic museum of art. It's, it's his family house and printing works that is being preserved and it's got like old master portraits of the family as well as all the printing works and very important yeah. first editions. Um, I've 
Yeah, it's, a, it's Antwerp anyway, great place to, to visit. And Anastasia, do you have, um, I don't know if you have an interest in buildings and architecture, but can you think of a building that you really like and um, say a few things about it? An influential one. Or it could be anything. A <laughs> favourite building. It could be in London, it could be yeah, in it's Russia. Quite, it's quite funny, but I'm actually um, at this, well, right now, trying to conserve, uh, trying to preserve and save this one building from disappearing from my street. Uh, it was built in 1955 and it's used as part of a city infrastructure. So it's not um, a historical monument or anything, mm. but um, it fits the surroundings. I live in a historic area in Moscow and it, it perfectly fits all the historic important buildings. Mm. Um, so yeah, and I it was built in the 1950s. It was built in 1955. Yeah, so after World War II. Yes. Um, before the cold or at the start of the yes. so-called cold war it's just a, it's actually i mean it obviously means nothing to maybe historians or the mm. majority of people living in moscow but to me it's a building that defines my street mm. and um i'm at the moment fighting for it because the, <laughs> i know there are plans to demolish it oh. and um yeah it's, it's a great building i love it <laughs> so in russia do they not have in in the, in the uk we have a, a graded building system uh, where buildings can be Listed um, by a commission like Heritage Commission to be preserved, and there's only certain there's rules about what you can do. Certain certain listed yeah. buildings you can't knock walls down in, like the institute that we're sitting, yes, in, which yes. is 18th century. There's a lot that we can't do with this building that we otherwise maybe like to. You know, we can't <laughs> knock down walls because um, it's a listed building. Is that true in Russia? Well, it is true, but obviously for objects of like city infrastructure, like this one, the one that I'm talking about. Um, the rules don't apply yeah. because it's not. No one actually perceives it as something architectural. It's perhaps seen as too recent, too modern. Too too modern, and also yeah. it's uh, it's always been used, you know, for city infrastructure. So it's not, you know, uh, it's not seen as something um, important and something that can be and should be saved. Um, but again, I'm I'm doing my best to uh, to try to explain why this is worth preserving. Um, well, I think that's great. I think I think that's really. I it's think a that's tiny building. Really good. I'll send you a photo. <laughs> yeah, um, you you might remember um, Jeremy Eckstein, who's one of our uh, visiting lecturers, yes, consultants, yes. art business person, famous in the art world for um, for his British Rail's pension fund that he worked on with Sotheby's, and that was one of the only art funds that has ever been really successful. Uh, that's maybe for another podcast. But Jeremy Jeremy was also very interested. He was an active member of, to preserve. Um, destitute churches, Christian churches, oh. you know, in the UK, there's a, there's an organisation because we've got all of these churches, particularly in countryside areas, that are medieval, beautiful buildings, uh, and you know, thieves are breaking in and stealing altar pieces and works of art and so on. And I, Jeremy, Jeremy was very into that uh, that organisation, which was great. Um, so, so how about before we move on to art? How about mu- are you into any kind of music? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, all sorts. <laughs> is it important to your life, music, for example? Is, um, I will actually, before starting my um, the MA and BA in um, international relations, my first um, education, I was going to um, um, apply uh, and study at the um, Nesson Academy of Music because I play the guitar. Wow. And <laughs> is that a Spanish guitar or Spanish electric guitar? guitar. <laughs> yeah, well, no, classic <laughs> Spanish guitar. Yeah. Okay. And classical <laughs> so, Spanish, not flamenco. No, no, classical. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, my my uh, my grandmother is 
musician as well. So yeah, obviously music is very important. Um, it, it gets harder and harder to define what genres, um, you know, I, I mean, but um, obviously music is is always yeah. <laughs> is always with me. But but in terms of like listening to music as opposed to playing it, do you have any like favorite musicians, composers, pop? Well, you know well, musicians yeah I mean I, I guess the, the easiest music that um, I, I listen to is Schubert because again mm-hmm. he's it's very easy to listen to yeah. him and not um, you know not, not kind of focus while you're working while I'm I don't know on a, on a run or, or working or cleaning mm-hmm. so yeah I like classical music um, mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing well Schubert is just one of the main composers yeah I like, like so that romantic genre and um, maybe the piano music Yes. And, the, and the song cycles he also has this one um, what's it called I think it's uh, music for a, a, a mass uh, so it's religious music yeah. it's also really really nice really hard to find mm. uh, to be honest to find recordings of yes, yes. <laughs> mass number 8 I think is, there you are so recommendation from yeah. Anastasia States <laughs> here listen to look on Spotify there are other music channels <laughs> um, <laughs> Apple and so on and you know the, the, the Schubert mass number 8 yes yeah is a favourite of yours yeah <laughs> yeah um, so so um, art uh, and this is a really difficult question and I hate people asking me but some you know if you had to if someone holds a gun against your head and said what's your favourite work of art ever you know what has been most inspirational to you and what do you keep coming back to what would it be um, it would actually be works landscapes by this one artist whom I, I love um, his name is Ivan Pachitonov he there's a lot of him that I mean lots of his paintings are sold at Sotheby's uh, but yeah, I just keep coming back to these landscapes because they're, um, from one point of view, they're really Russian. But then the painter spent so many years living abroad in France and in Belgium. Um, they're really, really fresh in terms of color. Like, I don't think he would have gotten the same green if he'd continued living in Russia. Um, so yeah, it would be probably landscapes by Pichitonov. And then, of course, um, um, I really like um, all versions of Mont Saint-Vitoire. Um, uh, by yeah, by Cezanne. Uh, thank God the Corso recently reopened, and I just went there this week. And again, I saw the the mountain. <laughs> yeah, Mont Saint Victoire. Yeah. I've been to Cezanne. So have you been to a studio in Provence? I know. So I went there, and you can see Mont Saint Victoire out the window. Oh. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, and as you say, he did lots of versions of that. Presumably you don't own one. No, sadly no. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, Suzanne, what a, what, a, what a wonderful artist on that kind of cusp of the old master and modern period, yes, really. Yes. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, so in, in terms of your educational background, Anastasia, um, I, I was quite surprised when I saw that you had a, a doctorate, your PhD. Yeah. So do you want to talk about... Did you ever do any courses in the history of art or art? And or, or, or you said talked about international relations, which I think has informed a, a lot of the work you're doing at the moment and your interests. But um, what was your PhD on, for example? Um, my PhD was on the role of expertise in decision making and foreign policy. So it was basically trying to um, find where experts stand, like how do they influence politics, how do they influence decisions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was always, I've always been interested in the history of art. Um, I tried applying um, from for my first bachelor's degree. I was, I was applying for the um, history of art uh, department. Um, yeah, so um, uh, I guess uh, it's always kind of been with me. <laughs> yeah. 
No, that, that, that's that, that's good, and I think you 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 part of your work now in Moscow is you're a lecturer. Yes, do you want I to am. talk a bit about that? Sure. Um, I uh, teach history of international relations, and um, um, my main area of focus is probably uh, late twentieth century, twenty first century. And um, I try to show, I try to teach students to be objective about some things that have, um, you know, that we've already uh, kind of analyzed and there's various documents and archives available on this period. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, I, I'm doing that at the moment. I enjoy it, although there, there are a couple of difficulties with teaching um, a period so close to nowadays and so close to contemporary politics. Um, I just try to approach it as a historical period, you know, not not as politics. So. I think that, if I may say so, I th- I'm just being very transparent here, that people in the UK would probably imagine that you as a teacher of recent international relations in Russia, they probably assume, because we've been brought up with all these Cold War ideas and movies and not to trust the Russians and they're full of spies, <laughs> <laughs> I suspect that they probably perceive that as being kind of quite biased or something, but it sounds from what you, you're saying that it's actually very objective and looking at you know, um, both sides yes. of the international uh, picture and so on. There are ways to be objective about that. I yeah. mean, surely there are ways to be biased and um, um, there are probably authors who you can read and become, you know, very biased from, from the mm-hmm. moment you finish the book. Uh, but then there are ways to approach it uh, and kind of try and do a balanced analysis of what was happening, what was going on. And you can't really do that without studying archives and documents and just kind of like reading, um, reading all these materials available in the period. So, but do you think that 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 understanding and that academic understanding and, and, and the politics of and the international relations um, between all countries, not just Russia and other countries, to what extent do you think that political world might have, you know, have artists? Contemporary artists, living artists in Russia, you know, since the early nineties. Do you think that it's changed their um, their their way of operating, their pra- their art practices? Are there, you know, how maybe you could just talk a little bit about your experience of, um, you know, Russian art and attitudes towards art, including old art, um, in the in the, in mm-hmm. the pre, you know, where, where should we put draw the line? Nineteen eighteen. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah, 19, I mean, early 19th. what's changed since then in the in the Russian art world, like the you know the contemporary art world? So, um, well, the, the first question to answer your first question, I think that there have been um, a few maybe waves, movements of artists becoming overly political and overly um, involved in Russian politics in the in the nineties, especially in the early two thousands. Um, but I also see that society has become a little bit too tired of, you know, overly political statements. So I, I'm seeing this small maybe shift from politics to maybe other ideas. Like uh, if you're an artist living in Russia, it doesn't mean that you should necessarily um, touch politics and, um, you know, um, focus on that in your creative practice. Um, then uh, as for the second, second question, how the art world has changed since 1989. Or 1992. 1992. Um, well, I would say that the more recent developments, if we're talking about the art market and the art you know, art business world, mm-hmm. um, they're probably they're probably happening right now. Um, 
maybe within the past five, seven years, we've had a lot of new businesses um, coming up and emerging and trying to revolutionize the art market. Um, I think the 90s and the early 2000s were kind of slow in, um, in the sense of how the market was forming. So, well, I'm hoping that the mo- most exciting um, things are, are, are still to come. Absolutely. No, and I, you know, my experience with it, um, in the 90s, they had the, well, when Pace first opened at the back of the Royal Academy, mm-hmm. I think one of the first exhibitions they had was like a post-perestroika oh. exhibition of Russian artists. And the, the, most of that art was of the kind that you're saying is very politicized and looking back to um, the, you know, the Soviet Union and uh, the communists at Stalin, Stalin and so on and, and looking ahead. It was really interesting. But um, I think as I understand it, yeah, that, that people are fed up with that and uh, it remains to be seen where these artists are going to be going now. I think a lot of Russian um, artists don't like to see them, well, like artists anywhere, actually, they don't primarily want to, want themselves to be seen as Russian in a nationalist way. Um, To a certain extent, I think that's true of like when I spoke with Kojo Marfo, the African artist, you know, he doesn't necessarily want to be labelled as an African artist, although he's very interested in in his African roots and, uh, you know, they come through in his his art practice. But, you know, he wants to be, I think all artists like to be seen as an artist primarily and they're very nomadic. And that's another thing that I've seen in my own experience in the new millennium. Um, Artists have become much more nomadic. They don't necessarily want to be... um, I remember there was an exhibition in New York in the Neuer Gallery, you know, in the the Neuer Museum, Neuer Gallery, um, one of the first ones when I was out there, and it was called Younger Than Jesus. And it was only artists who were younger than 33 years old when Jesus Christ died. I don't know why they called it that. And I remember going around there, I remember managing to get in um, before it opened and I, I kind of argued, oh, I really want to see this show and you haven't opened yet, can I just have a peek? And I went around and there were no labels on the works. And I said to the curator who took me around, um, I wouldn't be able to guess where any of these artists are from because it was deliberately an international mm-hmm art world you know you couldn't guess the nationality of any of them yes Uh, so there's definitely a kind of trend towards artists being you know really global yeah nomadic and that that went along with the general political changes in the new millennium of this work globalization was really used for the first time and we were beginning to use it in the art market you know everything's going to become Mm -hmm. global all the barriers are falling until as you know recently when we have brexit (laughs) which cuts us off to a certain extent from europe um, hopefully opens us up more to the rest of the world and we had um, trump in america with these protectionist policies and suddenly everything seemed to be going back to let's no longer break down these national boundaries if you like counter tendencies yeah yeah exactly but in in russia then you were talking about the landscape artist as as being a favorite artist and um um you you know maybe you could say something about uh, how if i go to moscow or if any of our listeners go to moscow or maybe st petersburg um, we're going to come back to that because I know a lot of your work is about why do we only ever talk about Moscow and St. Yes. Petersburg and talk about the rest of Russia later. It's very similar to being, you know, to only talking about London in the UK, uh, which is wrong, basically, and, and, and false, untrue. Um, so we, we'll talk about the rest of Russia later on. But um, if, if people want to visit Moscow and St. Petersburg and they're interested in not just the public galleries, but, you know, is there a scene, is there a kind of uh, commercial art scene? 
Are there kind of areas where there are clusters of art galleries and maybe other sectors as they might be in London in certain areas? Yes, there is. Um, there's. I would say there are a few clusters. I mean, obviously mm. there's Vinzavod, which is famous for um, you know um, contemporary art galleries. Um, there is a small, I would say, area near Kitaygorod um, in the center of Moscow. Again, where there's a there's a couple of galleries you can um, worth visiting there. But um, I would say the main problem is that it's very, very hard for a foreigner to um, to be able to gather all the information. To kind of navigate yeah. it. So there isn't like a website which is really user-friendly. Not really. There's the Association of Galleries and they're doing a great job, amazing job. They only set it up, I think, one or two years ago. And that's a website that you can access. Is it in English as well? Um, I think they have yeah. an English website. So Association of Galleries website is useful. It's, the problem is, again, it's only contemporary art galleries. So if you're interested, in old master or yeah. anything older than you know 20th century um, it would be quite difficult I'm actually working on um, a non-commercial obviously map of galleries just for um, to help people out um, oh that'd be useful yes I, I, I kind of I really want to open the, the Russian art team because one of the major fallacies about Russia is that the Russian art market does not exist and I've been trying to kind of um Contest that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. In your dissertation, and then yes. in the app, we'll talk about later. Yes, yes. Uh, so um, uh, it's definitely worth starting with public galleries, just because I think I mean not public galleries, public museum and public yeah. art in general. Um, just because I find collectors and Russian artists influenced so much by what they see in public museums, it's 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 a lifelong tradition for um for you know the public. And if you're yeah. in school, you're obviously going to go to these yeah. one, two, three. But places. I think that's true here. You know, Kojo yes. spoke about his influences. He so he dropped out of art college twice. <laughs> his, he says, I just go around museums and galleries, and I don't care whether it's contemporary. I, you know, I I go around all kinds of galleries, and it really influences my work. You know, and you're saying that in in Russia that's true as well. That's There's a tradition true. of artists looking at museums and being and inspired. It's also very interesting because if you look at um, collectors that are linked with Russia, especially young collectors, um, I find that a lot of them start by collecting old masters, like even people in their 20s, 30s. Interesting, because that's the opposite of yeah, what, what you would happening. say was true here. I would say that they begin with old masters yeah. oftentimes and then move on to contemporary artists, yeah. which is, um, it probably has to do with the fact that um, public museums are so influential and this is what you see you know, when you're growing up. Um, so, yeah, that, that's an interesting tendency. I don't know if it's true of other countries. Um, yeah, no, no, that, <laughs> that, that is interesting. It's, but I guess, I guess that if you think of music, for example, like we have this, these promenade concerts every summer at the, the Albert Hall. And I, I remember that young people basically get season tickets. It's very cheap. You can stand, if you stand up in the arena, and it's a, it's a musical education. That's what it was designed for through the summer, the festival, where you listen to all sorts of music. Not just the classics, Beethoven, Schubert, you mentioned, um, but but also contemporary. They commission the BBC mm-hmm. that runs it, um, commission new music, and, and but most most young people, including myself, you don't start by listening to contemporary art music, yeah, which is really quite difficult. A little bit like some contemporary art, you 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 listen to the classics, you listen to Beethoven, Mozart, etc. First, and then it's quite difficult. I think and maybe that's what's going on. With totally. the young collectors in Russia, with the with the visual art, whereas here I would say that, and it may, I think a lot of it is to do with the nature of contemporary art, artistic production with the YBAs, the young British artists, mm-hmm. in the last thirty years, that it's very easy to look at 
That's one of the essential features of the YBAs, Damien Hurst, Tracy Emin, Rachel Whiteley, very easy to look at. And it didn't used to be, you see, in, 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 the, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I think probably people now get into art through contemporary and going to take modern, whereas they used to go to the National Gallery yeah. and get into <laughs> that. And, and maybe even not really like contemporary art. There's been a big shift, even in my students' opinions, into contemporary art away from old masters. You know, and now I'd like to think it's with students like yourself that it's kind of going back to having more students who are actually primarily interested in older oh, art. Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's that's an interesting difference then maybe in Russia. It is, yes. Um, what kind of people what you talk about young collectors in Russia what kind of people are they? Are they, like here it would be like young professionals who are making a lot of disposable income working in very hard working financial industries, financial services in London who will typically collect contemporary art like YBAs. What is the demographic of young collectors in Russia? So um, for my Art Barometer project, I've interviewed, um, I would say around, now around 300 people who are collecting and dealing art. And um, I've tried to get a, a picture of uh, what they look like. Um, they all have very good education, usually. They, they're all very, I mean, the people who I interviewed, obviously not, probably not all collectors in Russia, <laughs> but the ones that I reached out to and that answered. Um, they're all uh, used to traveling a lot, so they're very well informed of what is happening in, say, in Europe or mm-hmm. um, elsewhere. Um, and again, for as for incomes, it's it gets difficult just because prices for art in Russia are um, considerably lower. So you can't get decent young art with um, uh, for I don't know uh, people consider for affordable art to be ten thousand rubles, which is a hundred pounds. Yes, you can get really good art for that money. Yeah, and. Um, uh, so yeah. they, these aren't student artists. These are actually artists who are trying to create. Uh, well, I would profession. say young graduates, young graduates yeah. of uh, like um, you know good good yes. what we call good. Um, oh, actually, yeah. just as a sideline, there. What like in Moscow, in in London, as you know, we have a lot of important influential art colleges, and mm-hmm. it kind of matters where the artist has gone to in their career trajectory. Goldsmiths at the moment is hot simply because Hearst and Co. started there. Um, but there's places like Chelsea College of Art and the Slade, Central St. Martins. Do you have similar kind of brand names for where artists are educated in Moscow? We do, yes. And then I guess some institutions tend to be more academic. Yeah. And then others Old focus. <laughs> yes. And then others focus on contemporary art. But yeah. um, I would say that. Um, well, obviously, the institutions that are more academic and more conservative um, and usually, I don't know, government-funded, um, they have more graduates every year than, you know, the other ones. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to say because I think it's uh, now it's kind of balancing out because if you look at um, what young galleries are se- selling um, at the art of these like really emerging artists, um, really young artists, um, it tends to get less and less academic yeah. <laughs> each year. Um, uh, and so yeah, and, and a little bit like what I was saying about the YBAs, I'm not saying yeah. it's a bad thing, but it's kind of quite easy, obviously contemporary and quite easy to consume. <laughs> and uh, uh, a huge part of what is being um, sold and, and bought is interior art, of course, because it's, it's easier to fit it fit in within within. Well, actually, house. so in the artist's mind is that this is to hang on someone's wall as part of an interior de- decorative scheme. Yes, and some yeah. are very open about it, and yeah. collectors are very open yeah. about it. I, I, 
I personally, you know, to, to me as a kind of classicist and, you know, I haven't done my doctoral research in Pompeii, mm -hmm. where there's wall, interior decorative wall paintings that I studied, I have no problem with that. You know, in many ways, you could argue art has always been interior decoration. That doesn't mean that's not a pejorative term. Yes. Um, and, and then maybe in a, if it's in a church, obviously, it's a different kind of interior decoration, you know, for the, for the to the glory of God. But there's kind of a, an argument that you could say art, art has always been that. And it doesn't mean it's bad or anything. Uh, I, I guess then you began to get a kind of tradition. And that's what I was going to ask you about in, in Russia, say Moscow, which, you know, best I think um, in, in, the, in the UK we have like the Arts Council that kind of takes my money in the form of taxes and mm -hmm. I buy it's a good thing and, and sponsors artists certain kinds of artists I would say who aren't going down the commercial road that people like Damien Hurst and Emin went down um, but you know they're artists that are much more difficult to look at and we see their work you know the kind of artists I mean in Serpentine mm -hmm. Whitechapel in London and of course Tate uh, and I, I see them as being quite different from the, the artists, that the, the very renowned artists um, in, within the art market, mm -hmm. like, say, Hurst and Emin. But is there, would you, are there, is that those two traditions, say, in, well, happening in Moscow? Does the state give money to sponsor more intellectual, academic, creative art? Well, in a way, but then um, state funding is very, very limited yeah. to, to, to arts. Um, yeah. He would probably, in this situation, you'd probably think there'd be um, a big public, you know, private uh, private funding. That does not exist either. Okay. So obviously, um, we we can only really uh, rely on the art market and its development as a, as a mechanism that can stimulate. Right. So it's art. very very strongly market related. The 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 tastemakers in Moscow, as it were, you probably say that they're the collectors. Oh well, yes. But then um, I, I would say that uh, the market still has a very long way to go to, to become that, you know, that one mechanism to um, just to help artists uh, develop. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that there will be more developments in within, I don't know, the next five mm -hmm. or ten years. But at the moment, we're in a very difficult situation where the state is not funding um, mm -hmm. so much. Um, it's The state is very much detached from the art world. And mm -hmm. that's another fallacy that people sometimes assume of the Russian art market that it's very politically driven. Mm -hmm. It's not. The state is just, you know, I would say detached in terms of funding at least, in terms of influencing the agenda. Mm -hmm. um, again, as for private sponsorship, we don't really have that mechanism. It's not it's not been developed. It's mm -hmm. not been a thing. Um, so I'm I'm thinking we should all um, hope <laughs> for the best of the Russian market. Mm -hmm. um, and I know, I know one of your interests is also about something that we really know nothing about. I mean, most of us out who aren't Russian, well, I don't know what, how many of us have been to Russia. To I, I've been to Moscow. I, haven't, I still haven't been to St. Petersburg. But on the on the cultural tourist trail from, say, people in the UK, obviously they know St. Petersburg and Moscow. Uh, and they visit the ballet when they go there, and they visit the Kremlin and the art galleries and Lenin's tomb and so on. And, but we know nothing about, I would say most British people, for example, know nothing about the Russian hinterland, that we might call it. Um, whereas, say, when people like you are, are coming into the UK, you're, you're presumably you're not staying in London. You probably have visited oh, some I of know. the other cathedral <laughs> cities and, you know, yes. Stonehenge and this sort of thing. But it doesn't seem like something that you, you know, you, and I think the only thing that you might do as a British cultural tourist, you might take that, the Trans-Siberian Railway as a kind of romantic 
thing to do is that you know or, <laughs> it's, or it's, a, it's, an it's an adventurous <laughs> thing but you do see kind of like documentaries mm -hmm. where celebrity Brits are on this long train journey. It's fascinating, you know, the, the landscapes and the cultures that they go through. But is there an art world outside of Moscow and Leningrad? Um, there, there definitely is. It's just very, very different from what is happening in Moscow and St. Petersburg. Yeah. But um, if you're visiting Russia, I would say, for, you know, for advice for a foreigner, um, I'd probably say to look out for things happening in the Urals. Um, I don't know, Yekaterinburg, for example, mm -hmm. where there's the, the Yeltsin Center and a couple of galleries um, worth monitoring, maybe not necessarily visiting every time you go to Russia, but then um, there's the Urals Biennale, uh, which has become quite popular in the recent years. Um, so yeah, there, there's definitely an art world, but um, you know, in terms of how big the country is and how mm. maybe dispersed it is, um, um, it's... You know, it, it's only logical to for foreigners to come to Moscow and see Petersburg. But but they're not presumed. There are artists everywhere. You can't stop people making art. So presumably, all over Russia, there are um, people, often younger people, maybe you know, with a dream of becoming an artist. Would they would they work from home, or would they try and get into Moscow, or even try and move out of Russia altogether? Um, well, I do see a lot of artists. I mean, in terms of what the NFT has done for the art world. Mm. Uh, I do see that a lot of digital artists um, are still staying in you know, their mm. own um, small villages and cities and making some money out of NFTs that they're mm. selling. Um, but uh, I would not, I don't know, it's kind of difficult for me to say what the career path for each, uh, you know, for artists in the regions would be. Um, I would say they probably tend to focus on, um, on Moscow and St. Petersburg as the two main art clusters mm -hmm. but then um, not sure how um, I'm not sure they have a, a market outside of Russia so it would be very difficult for them to um, kind of pass this barrier and um, address foreign collectors um, and presumably you don't have that kind of tradition do you have a tradition of you probably do actually in Russia um, of like I think we call them land artists or earth artists I would imagine that such a person would probably go out to those unknown, more beautiful, you know, geographical regions in Russia. Is there any, are there any artists that are doing that? Um, do you mean like land art? Yeah. Um, not not hugely. Yeah. Uh, there there's been um there's been one land art installation that recently opened in in Moscow region, mm. but it's not. Uh, you know, given the climate and the weather conditions, <laughs> it's not the best place for land art. <laughs> no, no, I understand that. <laughs> there is one. There's one um, interesting um, place near um, Kaluga. Uh, they usually have some sort of. Um, um, it's almost like a festival of mm. uh, you know architecture and land art. So um, uh, that's quite interesting. But I wouldn't say it's widespread. It is. It is. I, I guess it's a great opportunity for artists to explore. I mean, with all the, you know, <laughs> with the huge area that mm. we have, um, it's probably worth exploring. Yeah, but it's interesting what you say about the prices. So, so basically, equivalent art by emerging artists. If you were buying it in London, um, you're probably looking at more like two to three thousand pounds as opposed to a hundred pounds for a very equivalent. Yes, I works would say. in in Russia and. But is there a market, therefore, for people, almost like an exploitative market where, where people can know that they can buy good work from Russian artists um, for far less than they would for British artists? 
Well, sadly, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't think there's a huge market yeah. for emerging artists at the moment. Um, uh, I know that I've spoken with a few artists and I've asked them about prices because I obviously mm. like I don't know why some paintings are so cheap when they can, um, you know, they can be worth so much, <laughs> so much more, especially yeah. with the background that the, the artist has. Yes. And so many artists have said that. Um, it's very difficult for them to speak about prices because we don't have a tradition. Mm. Um, an, art know, market tradition. an art market tradition. Yeah. Our history has been quite difficult in mm -hmm. terms of um, evaluating how much you're worth and how much your art is worth. Sure. So I'm guessing um, that's one of the major factors yeah. <laughs> that kind of um, hinders the, um, the progress of the art market. Um, but hopefully it'll go away within a few decades with the with the whole Soviet mentality probably. Yes. You know? um, artists should I think they're only starting to to learn how to evaluate their their work. And and do they do they put their works on things like Artsy, like international web based platforms where people buy and sell art? Is that open to them? Um, I, I, yes, it is. Yeah. And um, I've spoken to a few artists who've tried marketplaces, but they've not managed to, um, I'm guessing, build a communication strategy that well. Mm. So there aren't a lot of people who know about them. They're not really good at expl explaining their work, at mm. showing it. Uh, so I'm guessing that's the major issue. And then there's a language barrier, obviously. Yeah. But to be honest, even in a kind of, you know, like in London, in a kind of developed marketplace, if you like, art marketplace like London, um, you'd be amazed at how many of the art colleges, well-known art colleges, don't talk about business, don't talk about the market to their students. And um, so I'm a judge on an emerging artist prize, for example. And one of the things that Conrad Cavallo, who was the subject of one of these podcasts, who, who, who created the emerging artist prize, um, one of the things that we do is we educate the artists. So or we offer them education. Well, that sounds patronizing. So we have events where people come in who are good marketing people, mm -hmm. um, usually of a similar age group, you know, to the artists. And, uh, you know, most of them are younger people. They're not all uh, emerging artists. You know, Sculpture Prize one year went to a woman in her 50s, 60s, I think, who had just never been noticed. And we, I, I, I'm happy to say I thought this is amazing work, you know. And she'd been working all her life, bless her. And, you know, this had, it was a change to her life. It was great. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so the, the, there's, these artists are hungry to understand art business and art market. Many people say that's the reason that... Damien Hurst did so well because apparently Goldsmiths at the time was teaching about a little bit I think about the art market oh. I don't know if that's a myth but that's an urban myth but that's what you often hear um, you have to ask Hurst but I think that they did and other colleges didn't yes uh, I mean yeah. I don't understand the tactics why ignore um, communication PR yeah. and just you know basic instruments of mm. art business yeah. um, these are obviously things that should be taught maybe yeah. Uh, I mean, it can be for artists, uh, it can be difficult for them to focus on the business side. Of, of course, it's and that, you know, we put, as you might know, we, we off, offer RMA out business students at the Institute, the possibility of working with the, the, the long short list of those yes. emerging artists and they can select them and say, I'd like to work with this artist for a while on a project. Mm -hmm. And they support them in understanding how to, how to use social media and, and often doing it, helping them to do it because... Artists are very busy people, you know, they don't necessarily want to be doing all the social media as well. I, I, someone like Kojo is, is, I think there's more and more artists like Kojo Marfo now 
who are beginning to realise um, the importance of Instagram and particularly videos of them making their art and so on. Uh, and, and I think it has it really changed. In a, that's probably to do with the pandemic as much as anything, yes, where artists yes. have begun to use TikTok and videos of, of showing themselves creating art and realised it's very successful. It's a way of attracting. But what coming back to Russia, what you're saying is that uh, a lot of that there isn't that kind of inspirate that doesn't that doesn't seem to be happening big time with no, Russian no, artists. No, no, not at all. Um, well, obviously there's the absence of education, but not even that. There's just mm. the the absence of tradition. Yeah, it's almost um, embarrassing to speak yeah. about money. And well, I it always ha- I mean that's the reason a lot of art colleges still don't teach the art market still uh, because the artists see it as an interruption to the spiritual purity of creating works of art you know and then we have another i've only just um recently learned about this we have this other dimension of collectors being embarrassed of calling themselves collectors Mm -hmm. because in the partly it probably has to do with the soviet tradition that if you're a collector then you probably have extra money and where's that money coming from are you a criminal are you doing some illegal action so um even when i started the art barometer project and i've spoken to young people they were very very shy and mm. calling themselves collectors they don't really want to talk about the market they don't. That's, but then that's interesting. if you look at their instagram pages they're talking about what they recently bought yeah. what they're recently um, yes you know visited <laughs> it's such an interesting relationship between the, the history of artistic production and consumption and politics and it it's true of france to a certain extent i know people who who if you if you're invited to dinner in Paris um, because of the post-revolution you, you know the tradition that is still there in mm-hmm. France is considered you know they will take works of art off their wall and hide them when people come to dinner because otherwise it looks too bourgeois non, you know it's not it's not a signifier of being radical yeah <laughs> so there's this kind of paradoxical behaviour going on you know I want to collect art but then I'm a little bit that's ashamed that's fun <laughs> it is fun but it's not just in Russia that that's happening yeah. so you know it, it, it's very very related to socio-political <laughs> context you know the, the, this this attitude towards art if it you like and so, for the maybe for the final uh, few minutes, um, do you want to tell us about Art Barometer, which is this, um, which is about to be launched? I think I think it's already there, but it's in development. Yes, on, on, yes. on the on the World Wide Web, as it were. Do you want to talk about uh, how yeah. that came about? Sure. Um, it's a, it's my own non-commercial research initiative. Um, I just. Uh, there's bits and pieces on the Russian market, um, like of information available, but there isn't, um, you know, there's no source um, um, that lets you get get a full picture of what the art market is really like. Mm. So I've started this... Presumably for reasons that yeah. you've just spoken about, that people don't really want to talk. Yes, and then also I would say the contemporary art world is very much divided from the older art. I would say not the old masters, because I'm still testing if we have this big market for old masters, okay. but then Contemporary art is very much divided from other sectors of the market. Yes. And um, um, I uh, I thought it would be a good idea to uh, do this yearly analysis of collectors, art market professionals, and galleries, and see how their year, um, how their previous year has uh, has been. So um, it's an annual initiative, and I'm looking to um, produce yearly um, reports on um, based on the same surveys and interview the same people to mm-hmm. see how their behaviors changed within a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be available shortly. I hope uh, within one or probably two weeks, I'll have that translated into English and published. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I'm thinking that if you ask the same people the same questions over a certain period of time, you'll probably uh, get a picture of where the market Definitely. is going. And that's a, that's <laughs> a strategy that people like Art Tactic, Anders Pettersson, one of our consultant lecturers, uses for Art Tactic, where yes, yes. every so every six months, I think it is, he, he gets a questionnaire sent off and back from galleries that remain anonymous around the world. Um, is anonymity one of the things you have an art barometer as well? Yes, and I've, I've also obviously been inspired by uh, Claire McAndrews. But yeah. the issue is um, these two um, uh, companies, they don't really include art market professionals. Mm. And I, I think you can get a lot of information um, about the art market like in terms of salaries. Mm. Um, if these market professionals are... Um, considering leaving their careers, that can tell a lot about yeah. the state of the market. So I'm trying to do that. I'm just interviewing interviewing mm. a bunch of people mm. <laughs> about their activities. Um, and I try not to focus on Moscow and St. Petersburg so much. So I'm aiming to get half of the um, respondents from other Moscow regions. And then maybe the other 50% will be from Moscow and St. Petersburg. Yeah, well, that's coming back to what we were talking about earlier about is there an art world outside of Moscow and St. Petersburg, yeah. if you like, the European side of Russia. Um, in, apropos, we'll come back to our barometer again, but I'm just thinking, is there in the eastern side of Russia, Russia um, it, is there any influence with, say, Chinese art? You know, is it, does it become non-Western at some point? Um, I, well, <laughs> I would say the Russian Far East is very much influenced by China and Japan mm. and you, you even see that by um, if you're meeting a graduate from a university in the Far East um, they are most likely to, to have learned Japanese or Chinese oh, at some point or another yeah. so I'm guessing it's probably yeah. so then may, maybe artistic production might also be more probably. influenced by Asian cultures, Southeast Asian cultures. I'm not sure if it's if it's that integrated with the um, Asian art market. Yeah. I have a few yeah. doubts about that. Yeah. Um, uh, but the influence is obviously there. Mm. Um, well, due mm. to geographical proximity. Mm -hmm. And so, so art barometer, your 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 kind of mission. Do you want to talk about? Why are you doing this? What's the mission? Of uh, the I want to make um, I, I want to make the Russian art market more visible, mm -hmm. um, especially the sectors that have been severely understudied. Again, the the older art sector, and then some of the new contemporary projects that have um, that have struggled <laughs> to survive, but they're still there. Mm. Um, I want to um, study. Uh, Another part of my work is studying the patterns of collecting in Russia because um, I've well I've, I'm in, in the process of designing a methodology for doing that. But uh, I'm guessing it is very interesting to see if Russian art collectors prefer foreign or Russian art. Um, I don't know something um, that you know is linked to them culturally or something very alien maybe. Yes. So um, the, the main the main mission is to make the, the market more transparent, obviously, and more visible. Um, and um, um, yeah, I, um, I think there are other dimensions that you can uh, kind of dive into once this general overview of the market um, is there. Um, and no one else has ever attempted this? Well, there is the, um, uh, the Russian Contemporary Art um, Index and several researchers who focus mm -hmm. on contemporary art, but I don't think art professionals have ever been covered. Collectors mm -hmm. have definitely never been covered right. in terms of not the, the major oligarch, super rich um, collectors, mm -hmm. but the you know medium emerging collectors, new collectors. I think that um, that is a part that um, really needs some more mm -hmm. research. 
Um, so so you're you're not so interested in what we know a lot about in contemporary Russian art, such as institutions like garage and you know the the um the, the collecting activities of people like Roman Abramovich, who, who's based in London, you're more interested in the Russian people themselves and how that market could... Yes. I mean, do you see part of your mission to stimulate and develop? We were talking about education. Would you like to be involved in, yes, uh, in that? I was wondering about art prizes, for example, whether some kind of similar art prize might be set up. There are a few actually yeah. um, really good art prizes. Of course there are, but do, are they kind of like Conrad's model, which is actually also an educational model? Um, I would say, no, I would not I would not say that I mm. know any art prizes that yeah. have this educational... Um, yes, element to them, yeah. yes. Yeah. That, that's that's very interesting. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in studying the, the less visible sectors of the market because, I mean, Garage is doing an amazing job and uh, I would say the auction house for a day is doing an amazing mm. job at speaking about themselves and explaining what they do um but there are areas that are not covered yet yeah yeah but you know this this i i'm always i i never i'm a glass half full person on this and when people critique even people like sachi in london i can see why people critique him and you know an art collector pretending that he's showing people <laughs> contemporary art when it's he's got an interest in it but I think to myself, without that, we just wouldn't see a lot of the art that Saatchi has shown over the last few years from around the, you know, emerging artists from around the world, for example. It's not just the YBAs he supported. So you don't, we have this phrase, you don't throw the baby away with the bathwater. Sure. You can be, if you want to be critical of people like Saatchi and, you know, um, Dasha, Sobova, um, well, you know, yeah. you, people will be because they're kind of in that high end of the market. Um, but like Damien Hurst, we would probably, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you now if it had been for Damien Hurst <laughs> because he he and that made London cool, you know, and yes, a lot yes. of young people like yourself are coming to London partly because of our recent artistic traditions. So, yes, yes. Um, you know, it, I think it's always important to see this as. Um, Holistically, sure. Every sure. every aspect of the art market and the art world plays its part. But I think what we do all still need to do, and that's what we're involved in, like with the emerging art prize with our mm-hmm. art business students in London, for example. And there are plans afoot, by the way, um, which are I, which are confidential at the moment. But there, there's the possibility of um, like South Asian emerging artists now coming into the picture as well specifically we see, we would like to see ourselves on an ethical level of supporting emerging artists who are always struggling around the world um, and I, I guess that's kind of part of what you yes it would at least be a byproduct of what you're doing with with art barometer yes exactly and then um, again I would say that the, the people who are very visible and open about what they do there's nothing I mean there's nothing to uh, to criticize them for they're doing yeah. an amazing job anyone yeah. it's very easy to um, criticize art projects in Russia for like say yeah. being unrepresented unrepresentative but then um, it's obviously better than nothing yeah. <laughs> so well, I, I, I remember when I visited it. Moscow I visited a, a former summer school art market student who was interning at garage and they were that was the time when they were rebuilding it so it was in a temporary structure <laughs> and we were having coffee and she she took me around this exhibition the exhibition struck was very striking it was basically an exhibition based on russian collectors who who put forward 
for the exhibition their favourite works. I'd never ever seen anything like that That's in London. Great. So it was she had chosen Dasha Zukova. Zukova, I could mispronounce it. You know, she she'd gone out to collectors that she knew, obviously, but these were amazing works that were very recognizable. I mean, international works that were I, Parway Way and so on. Um, and the other thing that I was impressed by was um was the fact that um the education of garage so i heard that there was this thing where they have a father's day every month which it because they she had recognized that when the families come to learn more about art that was one of their missions um that the the fathers look bored it's a very female <laughs> thing so she got just the dads to come along um for one sunday and it apparently was really really successful they loved it and then they were much more involved and engaged that that sounds kind of i shouldn't be talking about gender differences but there is definitely, definitely you know i mean <laughs> our art business students i don't even like to talk about gender anymore but you know the majority of them are women even though there's the word business that is has these masculine yeah. propensities in the title and not, that this is a good thing we want more women to enter uh, you know the, the the art business world in particular um, so it's a good thing but it's, it's still for example my son at one stage wanted to study the history of art at a level like mm-hmm. 16 to 18 his parents fit sister school taught art history, but the boys' school didn't. So there's a kind of prejudice against, you know, far less, there's far less opportunities in Great Britain for boys to study art history than the girls in the schools. Interesting. Uh, and so, so that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because, it is, you know, we all talk about encouraging women to <laughs> do engineering and everything, but what about encouraging boys to do art? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I think Garage now have their own masters. Uh, well, they, they participate in this. Um, 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 they're involved in this master's degree in mediation, mm. and it will be interesting to see how many boys are involved. Because yeah, uh, I see a lot of men in the Russian art world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, well, you, I'm not saying you don't see men in the British art world. You do. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> there, there aren't enough women. And um, you know, we've seen this this move from public galleries representing more of their women artists mm-hmm. recently, and all of those changes. But um, you know. It's um, it, uh, there is at the same time <laughs> there seems to be something strange going on in, in in early education for boys getting interested in art. As it well is as it girls. is kind of strange. <laughs> <laughs> it's all paradoxical, <laughs> Anastasia. Yes. Um, anyway, so I would ask our listeners to watch this space. Then, if, if you, I think you can find your website in development. Um, it's called Art Barometer. Yes, it, it's uh, it's artbarometer.ru. Yeah. Russian, um, and then there's an English version of it that I um, try to update. Um, yeah. And it, obviously, if you're a Russian speaker, please um, feel free to follow Art Barometer in social media. Mm. I try to do. Um, as many posts as I can. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and and re- also remember, it's a, I don't know when this podcast will actually go sure, out, sure. be broadcast, but um, by then I think Anastasia will, will have it properly up and running. But remember, it, it's it's in progress. It's in its early yes, days at the is. moment. Uh, I'm sure she'd appreciate any feedback that you have for her on, on that. Yeah. Thank so you. Anastasia, it's been a great pleasure talking to you today and I wish you the best with the Art Barometer uh, project, um, which will be for the good of all of us to see more, so. <laughs> more Russian art coming into the not just the Russian national market but the Russian, the international market so it would be great uh, to see that happening so thank you very thank much thank you so much thank you